Paranormal Crimes, presented by Euphoria. Come on, Doctor, think about it. It wouldn't be a novelty for someone to obstruct a case in order to discredit a judge. Are you sure that you don't have anyone who wants to bring you down? Who wants your your position? Who who who, who wants to discredit you? Please, Benitez, don't complicate the situation any further. I'm serious. I mean, is it normal to temper with all the samples? Is it normal for the hearts to disappear? Is it normal for a top to appear full again? Come on, doctor. Does does any of this seems normal to you? No, not at all. But to think that someone is doing it to bother me, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, there isn't anything normal about this damn case, Judge. Please open your eyes. I'd recommend that you get a hold of your anxiety a little and that you try to speed up the transfer of the samples to the morgue commissioner. Yes, doctor. Hey, Hassan, I wanted to see you. What are you doing here? I didn't do anything. What's wrong? It just so happens that I'm beginning to wonder if you're not behind all of this. What? What are you talking about? Do you know that you can go to jail for breaking the secrecy of summary proceedings? But I don't know what you're talking about. And if I add the fact that you were at the scene of the crime without authorization, I could put you in jail as an accomplice for 20 years. Did you know that? Hello? Dr. Kazal, this is Dr. Raffle. Oh, Dr. Raffle, yeah, this is Kazal speaking. Tell me. As I always say, corpses talk. And I'm listening. Well, um, it's, um... Yes? We have the result. Euphoria presents Paranormal Crimes, where reason meets its limits. Season 1, The Mystery of the Cousins, an original series by Euphoria Podcast. Warning, the following story is based on a true case with dramatic scenes created from the events and exclusive statements of its protagonists. Some of the identities and situations have been changed. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, we recommend you do so first, and then come back so you don't miss any details. And always remember to listen until the last breath. Episode 8 of 8. The Darkest Hours. Perception is subjective, selective, and temporary. Therefore, so is reality. We all react differently to the same stimulus. Where we see this most is with mysteries that we can't understand inexplicable events that the perception of each individual reinterprets and seeks answers to or justifies. Tonight, on the Mystery Portal, we're going to delve into the dark labyrinths of Enigma to discuss a case that has captured the attention of society as a whole. Like every Friday, I'm joined by Daniel, our Rasputin, 
Uh, good evening to you and to the entire audience. Today is not just any day. Today, we're going to talk about the mystery of the cousins, a case that has come to an end. Or at least, that's what they say. Exactly. Because this morning, Dr. Raffo and his scientific team presented to Judge Casal their study with the final results of the case. Let's begin. Dawn breaks in the city of Buenos Aires under a heavy winter rain. Judge Casal ties his tie, puts on his coat, and goes out without breakfast. His stomach is closed. The day has finally arrived. Today he'll know the truth behind the case that has occupied his mind for the last few months. Meanwhile, on the courthouse block, the street is a hive of activity. Police officers in their raincoats maintain a cordon to demarcate the area for cameramen and reporters awaiting the judge's appearance. Please, please, I'm gonna ask you to respect the lines. You heard, with all due respect, we're all going to have a long day behind the lines. In the office, Lucio and Betty prepare all the papers to receive Ratho and his team. Commissioner Benitez arrives impeccably shaved and combed with a certain sparkle in his eyes, waiting for a miracle. Good morning. Morning. Good morning, Commissioner. <laughs> Looks like it's all over today, doesn't it? From your lips to God's ears. What do you think, Benitez? What kind of conclusions will Rafa reach? Uh, look, Lucio, with all the twists and turns we had, I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up with yet another surprise. No, please. <laughs> the judge hasn't arrived? He's on his way. Meanwhile, Torco is at his bar table, killing time until he goes to the courthouse to hear the outcome of the case that has pushed him to the limits of his sanity. El Gitano brings him his usual coffee and cognac. Turco, so, today's a big day, huh? Hmm. Yeah, it depends who you're asking, I guess. Anxious? What do you think? Today they'll be showing the science. Let's see what the eminences have to say. Yeah, yeah, on TV they don't talk about anything else. It's everywhere. Turco turns to the TV hanging in the corner in the morning news. And with a red background covering the entire screen, it announces the arrival of Judge Cassell at the courthouse, where a swarm of journalists is stalking him. Gentlemen, ladies, please, one by one. What do you hope the autopsy will reveal? The truth. Nothing more, nothing less. What can you tell us about Raffo's results? Not much. I myself am waiting. What yes, we are waiting as well. Anything else can tell about the autopsy? Did they tell you anything about the necropsy? We will see what the experts say, and at the end of the day, we will make the official announcement. Now. If you'll excuse me, it's time to go. Thank you all very much for coming. Please, yes, yes, yes. Torco turns away from the TV screen and plunges into the pages of the newspapers where the news reports speak of the end to the mystery. Rivers of ink present more rational conjecture as absolute truth. The vast majority of them suggest a domestic accident. A few speak of the Black Mamba and none of a possible supernatural theory. 
Suddenly, Turco looks up and can't believe his eyes. At the door of the bar, Ana Maria, Claudia's mother, and Dario Tojo, Irma's boyfriend, shake and close their rain-soaked umbrellas. For Turco, their thoughts are embodied in a strange and unfolded reality. Of the 300 bars around Tribunales, Tojo and Ana Maria, by some riddle of fate, go to his. They pass by him without seeing or recognizing him and sit down a few meters away from him. Turco feels he owes Tojo an apology for having bothered him that afternoon at his house. With a gesture, he calls the waiter. Another coffee, Turco? No, no. Whatever those two order, it's on me. <laughs> Nothing is ever normal with you, is it? I don't want to even know what you owe them. In the courtroom, the projector is set up, and on a small stage, there's a lectern and a table with a stack of reports. In front of this, at a table set up like for a jury, sits Lucio, Commissioner Benitez, and Sub-Inspector Castillo, who has just entered the room. What's up, Castillo? Good morning, Commissioner. <laughs> Looks like you didn't sleep at all last night. Well, it feels like I haven't slept for months, sir. We're close, Castillo. It's the final stretch. Seated further back are Dr. Flores, who was in charge of the first autopsy, and Dr. Lagans and Dr. Graciano, who were in charge of the second autopsy. Scattered around the room are a few other court employees, but Casal has not yet arrived. Betty is in an adjoining room, calling the reception desk of the courts, asking for him. I mean, it's strange that he hasn't arrived yet. Yeah, he must be delayed speaking with the press or something. Betty, with her short, steady steps, approaches Lucio and the commissioner. I just got confirmation he's in the building. <sighs> okay, I told you. He must be delayed speaking with a journalist. Casal, however, has not been slowed down by anyone but his own thoughts. He's in front of the bathroom mirror, searching his eyes for a glimpse of the man he used to be before he went through this long and torturous experience that changed him forever. He feels that this case has aged him several years. He wipes his face and tries to regain some of his characteristic poise. He goes out into the hallway, where two policemen are waiting to escort him to the presentation room. Without a doubt, the mystery of the cousins is the most extraordinary case of Argentinian criminology of the last century. Unlike other cases from the beginning, this story is presented as a labyrinth. Yes, a labyrinth full of mirages, which lead us to think of a possible way out, but in reality, what they do is to plunge us deeper into the entrails of the enigma. Two cousins are found dead in a bathtub, rotting for months. But immediately, several witnesses claim to have seen them alive a few days before. What if what they all saw was an apparition? Ah, uh, it's not irrational to think so, since the facts support that. We talked in previous programs about the case of Shirley Hitchens, 12 years living with a paranormal phenomenon fully documented. But are we in a position to say that the cousins were really alive 48 hours before they were found? What does science to say about it? Well, the coroner who arrived at the crime scene said that they had been dead for six weeks. The first autopsy, on the other hand, 
months at 48 hours. The second autopsy could not determine anything, and now it remains to be seen which way Raffo's answer will tip the scale. What if you find out that the cousins have been dead for months? It will be one more story that proves that what we can see or touch, what science insists on calling the real, is only one aspect of the universe. Judge Casal enters the Great Hall, and those present rise to greet him. The anticipation of everyone gives a touch of solemnity to the occasion that Casal would have preferred to avoid. Dr. Laggins, Flores. Good morning. Good morning, Doctor. Graciano. Good morning, Judge. Thank you for coming. Casal crosses the room and sits between Lucio and Benitez, the two people who have faithfully assisted him in this absurd story. Deputy Inspector Castillo completes the table. Doctor, <laughs> seems we've made it to the last day alive after all. Let's not count our chickens before they hatch. Dr. Raffo and his team are ready. Okay, good. We're all set then. We're all here. We're all set. Betty, please send them in. Yes, Doctor. After a few moments, a group of five people led by the famous Dr. Raffo enter the room. They greet those present with a gesture and take their places next to the main lectern, where Lucio prepares to begin the presentation. Study concerning case number 36380. Death of Claudia Fernandez and Irma Giron, San Isidro Judicial Department under the charge of Dr. Raul Casal, criminal court number two. We begin the presentation of the final evaluation that determines the cause of death of the two women. Dr. Manuel Raffo, who is in charge of the forensic team, will begin. Lucio turns on the projector and returns to his seat next to Judge Casal as Dr. Raffo stands up. Instead of walking to the lectern with his hands behind his back, he starts pacing back and forth. He's used to lecturing at the university and at hundreds of conferences and seminars educating his colleagues. His wandering silhouette creates a dark hole in the wall that's being lit by the slide projector. For those who don't know me, my name is Dr. Manuel Raffo, the forensic doctor in charge of this last autopsy. And Dr. Ortiz and Dr. Ibarra will accompany me throughout the presentation. Both doctors, like performers in a play, stand up and with a subtle gesture greet those present. To begin with, the first thing we decided to determine is the approximate time of death from when the girls were found in the bathroom for which we base ourselves on the evidence offered by the samples of cadaveric fauna. On the viscera, sent by Dr. Flores to Lagans, both present here, and on the bodies of the victims themselves. Doctor? Ortiz moves to the lectern to begin his presentation and run the slides. On the screen, at giant size, a detailed image of cadaverous tissue appears to explode, which is blackened, cracked, and infested with maggots and larvae. A bra strap gives away that it belongs to Irma's body. The necrophagous insects that attack the corpse, appropriately called death workers, allow us in some cases to go back approximately to the time of death. The first species of these insects that appears and attacks the corpse is the so-called Californian fruit fly. Suddenly, Betty stands up. 
puts her hand to her mouth and barely holding back her retching, leaves the room. Excuse me. Are you okay, Betty? Uh, I'll, I'll be right back. Doctor, please continue. The biological cycle of this species of fly takes about 10 days from the egg stage to the adult stage, and the succession is fly, egg, larva, and 48 hours later, it forms a pupa that finally hatches to give life to a new fly. Doctor? Now, no pupae were found in these corpses, which allows us to conclude that the putrefaction process had not been going on for more than 48 hours at the time they were found. Therefore, it is established that the death of the cousins took place shortly after the visit of the doctor from the Vicente Lopez Hospital. That is to say, they died between Friday night and Saturday morning. There is no longer any doubt about that. Well then, if there's no doubt about this, the question now is another one. What phenomenon accelerated their decay in those 48 hours? From my point of view, time is always relative, because the state of decomposition could have been reached in only a second. What would it be like? Have you ever heard of the call time or spectral apparition? Yes, but tell it to the audience. Well, this hypothesis contemplates that the two-month decomposition of the bodies in just a few hours may be due to a localized contraction of time and space. Like in those stories where a young man lies down to rest in the clearing of an enchanted forest and upon returning discovers that years have passed? Exactly. So, do you think it's possible that the cousins have gone through a time warp? I don't rule it out. It could be a temporary anomaly located perhaps only in that house, perhaps only in that bathroom, and that made two earthly days turn into almost two months for their bodies. As Dr. Ortiz changes the slide, Betty comes back into the courtroom and returns to her seat. Judge Casal leans toward her. Are you feeling better? Yes, thank you. You know, you don't have to stay. No, it's okay. I, I want to be here for you. Thank you, Betty. Dr. Ortiz, please continue. Good. Continuing with the second stage of the investigation, we wondered if it could have been a suicide, especially because of the unusual position in which the bodies were found. For this, we analyzed the work of the handwriting experts, which was enlightening to rule out any suicidal inclination. We analyzed the study of the syringes that showed that they did not contain toxic substances. We confirmed that there were no physical marks that could indicate suicide, but we were left with a doubt a suicide by gas inhalation. In these cases, when the person seeks to commit suicide by carbon monoxide inhalation, he usually lies down in the bed, sits comfortably in an armchair, or on the floor with pillows. 
very often leaves letters explaining the decision taken, and after all that, he opens the gas taps, waiting for death to come. In this case, because of all the previous studies, the disorderly position of the bodies, which we will go into later, and the absence of letters or notes, we rule out suicide by gas inhalation. In short, we are in a position to say that the cousins did not commit suicide. Ortiz changes the slide, and the light passing through the film unfolds a sinister image on the screen. An immense snake with dark, lustrous scales and cruel, empty eyes occupies the entire wall. Dr. Ratho stands in front of the image, allowing a forked tongue to be projected onto a suit. Now, let's go to the third instance, the poison of the snake. We'll be right back with more paranormal crimes. Let's continue with more paranormal crimes. An annoying drizzle varnishes the city with a dirty gray, while Turco sits at the bar, doing mathematical calculations in his notebook. What is he thinking? Behind him, Ana Maria and Dario Tojo go for their second coffee, drinking it in silence. Their eyes fixed on the TV screen, anxiously awaiting the outcome of the mystery. It's been several hours since Dr. Raffo arrived and the presentation began, but we're still waiting for the results. So far, no one has come out to make any statement. Slyly, in the faint reflection of one of the bar's windows, Torco looks at Ana Maria and Tojo. Their faces, the torn grimace of those who have lost everything, or those who never had anything. We'll continue broadcasting live from here in front of the courts, awaiting the outcome of the case of the cousins, which is keeping the whole country in suspense. Dr. Raffo, keeping his hands folded behind his back, paces in front of the projection, gesturing in support of each of his team member statements. Dr. Ibarra and Dr. Ortiz are two steady pillars on either side of the huge snake. Dr. Barrio Canal wrote a report in which he stated that the deaths were the result of the intervention of the poison of a black mamba, whose venom is lethal, accelerates putrefaction, and leaves no marks. While the latter is true, it is impossible to think that a snake would have bitten the cousins, and they would have done nothing about it. Doctor? In the report, Barrio Canal tells us about the novel by Sir Conan Doyle, where Holmes solves a crime in which this mechanism was used. To answer him, I am going to continue with literature, but without moving away from the continent. The answer can be found in the hands of the famous Uruguayan writer, Horacio Quiroga, who wrote a work entitled Adrift. In this story, a man, in the middle of the missionary jungle, is bitten by a Yarakakuzu. Judge Casal listens attentively as various images of serpent bites are projected on the wall, showing the repulsive effects of the tissues of their victims. Its venom is as deadly as that of the cobra or the mamba. Although in the novel it is accidental, the protagonist did not have the medical attention that would have saved his life. What does this mean? That in the hypothetical case of a snake bite, the cousins would have had more than enough time to seek medical attention. Surely, 
But couldn't the poison have been inoculated in another way and acted more quickly? In that case, Asparia Canal's report presumes where the poison would have been injected into them with a syringe, it is striking that both have allowed themselves to be passively injected without offering resistance. Let's remember that the bed was turned upside down and that there was a curtain pulled down. That's true, but the bodies don't show even a subtle struggle. And it's the corpses that speak. Well, so far we've come to the same conclusion. But in the autopsy, they didn't find any poison? Let me go a little further along this line, Dr. Ortiz. Ortiz switches to new slides. This time it's not the image of a snake that completely fills the wall, but those of different spiders. The photos, taken with a macro lens at very close range, show every detail of the animal's jaws, multiple eyes, and hairs with almost obscene levels of definition. Although Barrio Canal's idea of a black mamba is far-fetched, this led us to reflect on other possible poisonings. And so we wondered if there could be the possibility of a spider bite, of which only the so-called black widow and the brown house spider can cause serious poisonings, which are sometimes fatal. In these cases, the victim may feel completely fine until after half an hour when they start feeling muscle rigidity, sweating, um, abdominal spasms, salivation, congestion, hyperesthesia of the skin, and necrotic lesion at the site of the sting. As we can see, neither of our two carcasses presented this description. The slides continue to show the effects of arachnid bites on the skin of different victims. Blistering, bleeding, necrosis, limbs swollen to deformity, but none so much as those on the corpses of the cousins. However, and to completely remove any shadow of a doubt, we subjected all the samples to an analysis of different poisons, including those mentioned and other poisonous insects or animals. And all the results are conclusive. There are no traces of any poison whatsoever. In other words, the cousins did not die of poisoning. And there was definitely no black mamba. At this precise moment, miles away, in a boutique apartment in a coquettish neighborhood of Buenos Aires, Barrio Canal, eating breakfast while reading the newspapers, looking for his name in some headline or in some quote, unaware that, in court, his theory is being ridiculed, nipped in the bud, but also unaware that his work will at some point be appreciated by others. Personally, Mario Canal's appearance renewed my desire to continue to go into the beast's cave. A man who comes along and presents another possible perspective on reality is something to be thankful for. Oh, no doubt, because even if he was wrong, it makes it possible for others to ask us questions that had not been asked until now. They are the kind of people who come up with answers that others can't even imagine. That's why his intervention is valuable. What you say is very interesting, because often these people are the ones who broaden the fields of knowledge and perception that you mentioned at the beginning. Will time prove these people who live on the edge of reality to be right? Time. Sometimes 
It can crawl around on itself and bring two distant points into contact with each other. Perhaps, in another time, they are already right. In the courtroom, Judge Casal takes a brief five-minute break and then continues. He must bring down the anxiety he feels about getting to the end of the story. Everyone in the courtroom begins to leave. Can I get you something to drink, doctor? No, thank you, Betty. No need. Benitez, what do you think? I think we're close. Lucio? I think we've got it, doctor. We've got it. Are you staying here? Yeah, I'm gonna stay here for a while. I'd like to go over some papers. Judge Casal is left alone in the now empty room, which seems immense. On the wall, the projector draws an image with the photos of the cousin's identity documents. Casal had never seen them at that size, with so much detail, so clearly. Now he can appreciate the innocent gesture of their eyes, smiling, transparent, luminous. Both women seem to be looking at him, only at him, in the silence of the room, the three of them together at the end of the road. The judge knows that despite having bordered on the foolishness on more than one occasion, he always stayed on the side of reason. And today, he feels he did the right thing. Meanwhile, outside the door, reporters grow impatient. Excuse me, officer, is there any word? Nothing has been reported yet. There is no news. Oh, in 10 minutes, I'm going live with the mobile unit. Any press release or anything to say? Nothing, miss. Behind the line, please. The meeting attendees return to the courtroom, bringing with them the smell of tobacco and the rain they picked up in the courtyards of the courthouse. Benitez and Lucio find Casal lost in thought and take a seat, not daring to distract him. Only his faithful secretary, Betty, approaches him. Doctor, I brought you some coffee. Oh, thank you, Betty. That's very kind of you. Dr. Ratho and his team return to the front of the room, and after a brief consultation among themselves, they resume their presentation. Although there was general disorder in the rooms, it does not appear that it was due to an act of violence, nor were there cries for help, terror, or signs of a fight. And it makes no sense to kill two people and try to hide their bodies in a bathtub. On the other hand, Although the photo of the bodies in the bathtub leads one to think of erotic lesbian maneuvers, this was not the case either, given that the younger of the victims had clear signs and symptoms of illness, and her immersion in the bathtub could well have been due to the medical instructions that she received. Everyone follows the forensic expert's explanation attentively, like someone pulling yards of rope from a black well, waiting to see what comes out. The gestures, the tone of their voices, gives them a confidence that at times seems to be mistaken for arrogance. As we can see, the bra and the wristwatch placed on the older woman do not indicate that she went to bathe that way, but that she got into the bathtub dressed for some urgency. On the wall, slides show pictures of the bodies with indications, diagrams, and sketches of the positions of the bodies at the time of discovery possible positions prior to death. The position in which they were found indicates that the minor entered first, followed by the other, since 
it would be impossible for a third party to place both women in that position in the bathtub. Which leads us to confirm that the younger one entered first, who felt ill, and her cousin tried to help her, but she also fainted in the attempt, leaving both of them in this absurd position. But what happened to them? And why both at the same time? Rafu's team falls silent. The rest wait expectantly. The celebrated coroner approaches the lectern for the first time. You can see in his posture that he's enjoying this moment, where he has everyone in the palm of his hand. He opens a folder and takes out some sheets of paper with judicial letterhead, which he doesn't even look at. In order to reach a conclusion, we define that there was inevitably an external factor unnoticed during the investigation which acted on the two bodies to bring them to the advanced state of putrefaction in which they were found. A suitable temperature for the bacterial proliferation and the action of the larvae to accelerate this process. From the information provided at the last minute by the court, we will present the results. We'll be right back with more paranormal crimes. Let's continue with more paranormal crimes. The drizzle continues to fall over Buenos Aires, accentuating the gray of autumn, which clings to the streets, the cars, the people. In the bar, the waiter changes channels only out of inertia. They're all broadcasting the same scene, live from a few blocks away. We're still waiting for the results of the autopsy. So far, there is no indication. We're told that they took a break, but nobody has come out to speak. But the results are imminent. Today is crucial for the cousin's case. Torco looks at the clock and hurries through his fourth cup of coffee. It's time to go to court to hear the final verdict. Waiter, coming. At the same time, with muffled gestures, Ana Maria and Dario Tojo ask for the check. They too are attending the same event, but their expectation is very different. The check. Don't worry, it's all paid for. We haven't paid for anything. It's okay, ma'am. That gentleman paid for you. The waiter nods to a couple of tables over, where Tortico, turning to put on his raincoat, is exposed before Ana Maria and Tojo's eyes. The young man stands up and approaches him with a quarrelsome gesture. Are you following me? No, no, not at all. I, I came to court to hear the results. I imagine, just like you. Did you know the girls? How's he gonna know them? He's a ghost. I'm sorry for bothering you at home. It wasn't my intention. Are you a journalist? Yes. Then I'll ask you to show a little respect for the girls and for all of us. We've had to go through enough to have to read the horrible stuff they write in the newspapers. All right, all right, let's get out of here. Really, I'm really sorry to have bothered you. Dario helps Ana Maria put on a modest coat, himself bundled in a threadbare raincoat, and without so much as a glance at him, spits out an answer. That's how it is. Everyone lives in a hell of their own choosing. The cousin's relatives leave the bar, 
dragging a shared loneliness. There are no more holes to fill in their story made of shadows and empty spaces. Death has taken its toll, and there is nowhere to grieve. In the courtroom, Raffo makes his audience wait with calculated slowness. The moment Judge Casal and his team have been waiting for has finally arrived. After all that has been said, we will proceed to give our final conclusions. Dr. Casal, any questions? No, none. Please proceed. Okay. Based on all the work presented and the evidence analyzed, I affirm that the cherry red coloration of the muscle masses, the pink coloration of the ribs, sternum, and muscle mass of the left arm prove that both women died from carbon monoxide poisoning. Projected on the huge wall is a photograph of the cousin's humble gas heater in the dining room. In these cases, three periods are distinguished. First period, period of initial state or impregnation, feeling of general malaise, headache, dizziness, lethargy, decreased perceptions, nausea, vomiting, signs of drunkenness, and even manic excitement. According to our expertise, it was in this first period that the youngest, Claudia, began to feel ill, and they decided to call the doctor. And why was she affected and not the older one? It's a question of altitude. Irma is taller, Claudia is shorter, and the gas, being dense, concentrates first at low altitude. Not to mention that Claudia will have spent a long time lying down, inhaling greater amounts of carbon monoxide. Then we've got the second period. The second period is the state phase. To the previous symptoms are added progressive drowsiness and muscular impotence, especially in the lower limbs. Although the state of consciousness is satisfactory, the legs do not respond. In this instance, when we consider the possibility that Claudia was lying down, she got up with effort, turning the bed, and when she stood up, she lost her balance, tried to grab the curtain, but fell with the curtain and everything. Her cousin assisted her and took her to the bathtub so she could take a bath to lower what they thought was a fever. And the third and last period, coma or terminal phase. There is a loss of consciousness, temperature drop and coma. Loss of reflexes, uh, dilated pupils, all systems collapse. Oxygen does not arrive, there is no more response. In this final period, it was when Claudia was unconscious in the bathtub and her cousin, whose motor skills were also affected by the inhalation, tried to get her out of there but in the attempt, she succumbed with her. Thus, the result is irrefutable. The lack of ventilation in the rooms, added to the heater consuming the oxygen in the bathroom, killed both women practically simultaneously. Therefore, it was, without any doubt, a fatal accident due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Rafo finishes his report, and with a satisfied look, he returns to his seat. Casal looks at Lucio and Benitez, and the three understand that they've reached the conclusion of the case. After so much speculation, so many inexplicable events, under the infinite layers of mystery that seem to trap them. According to forensics, an invisible, silent killer had been there, in the bathroom, stalking the cousins the whole time. 
On the steps of the courthouse, a crowd of reporters from all the country's media outlets try to get past the police cordon. Under the arcade of the palace's opulent entrance, the figure of Judge Cassell appears. In a matter of seconds, dozens of microphones form an arc around his head, and a battery of questions surrounds him. But Cassell responds calmly, with professionalism, knowing that he's at last emerging from the dark labyrinth that has imprisoned him for months. The path has less marks for the rest of his life. Signs of a learning process that will make him look differently at the next cases in his career. At the end of the press conference, the judge walks to the courthouse parking lot. From a distance, he sees the dark silhouette of Commissioner Benitez, who is waiting for him next to his car, a cigarette in his lips. Once they're face to face, they don't need many words to show their appreciation for each other. Thank you for everything, Commissioner. No, thank you, Doctor. They shake hands, and each one gets into his car. The Commissioner's car, driven by Sub-Inspector Castillo, who is already beginning to show signs of calm in his face. Before driving off, they wave to each other with a short, complicit gesture. The gesture of those who will share the same scar for life. Once in his chambers, the judge and Lucio remove one by one the photos that for months had formed the sinister root growing up the wall. When they finish, Casal puts everything away in a box while Lucio puts on his coat. All right, well, I already closed the report and I issued the notifications to the relevant parties. I think that's it. Very good, Lucio. Excellent. Good job. They're silent for a moment. Lucio seems to be waiting for something. It's amazing, huh? How death can surprise us without warning. Casal tries to crack a smile that fails halfway through. Go home, kid. You deserve a rest. See you on Monday. Thank you, doctor. You too. Have a good rest. Thank you. Casal keeps all the case information in his safe, secretly hoping he'll never have to see it again. He puts on his coat, turns off the lights, and takes one last look at the now empty wall. The case is over. Turco finishes his weekly program, says goodbye to his colleague Daniel, and walks home in the persistent drizzle of Buenos Aires. When he arrives home, he puts all the case material inside the box and places it on the top shelf of the bookshelf next to the others, this time for good. For him too, the case is closed. Dr. Judge Casal, last meeting. I adhered to the most sound scientific hypotheses, which gave me, after a lot of investigation, three exhumations. The genius of Dr. Raffo and the people of the scientific police at that time, Commissioner Torres, are very hardworking people, very showy, because for them, also, it was useful in all their experience. That was not minor. But to reach this end with Raffo's conclusion, we found ourselves with thousands of obstacles produced by the lack of operability and exaggerated by the journalists. As for the vicissitudes of the case, 
There were events, such as the loss of an organ. Then this had to be replaced with other evidence, etc. Dr. Raffo, with his phenomenal team, concludes that this is produced by carbon monoxide poisoning. And Raffo explains to me that carbon monoxide remains in the small spaces, for example, the tiles of a bathroom, for a long time. So people think that with the smell of gas and a little ventilation, it's over, right? Raffo explains to me that no, they remain in those crevices for a long time, enough to produce death. And what happened to us? The police, in their eagerness to collaborate, contaminated the crime scene. And if you have a sense of logic, you can figure it out. There was a gas-powered heater inside the bathroom. That gas heater is removed by police instruction with the idea of cleaning up the crime scene that leads one to confusion. Because if one sees the heater and also the result says, well, there is a gas leak, that is the issue. But if one sees the heater that is in another room, it is impossible to move it to the scene of the crime because the heater was in a distant and different room from the place where it had produced its effects. What did it mean for me? Ha, a permanent headache. Because in addition to this case, in the hustle and bustle of a judicial shift, in such a large jurisdiction as we had, it was a pebble in my shoe. Because besides, the way, what happened, the pressure of journalism? Actually, I understand the function of journalism, but sometimes the popular imagination. Today I'm still being asked about this case, and I have had much more important cases than this one. And people tell me, ah, how did it end? How did it go? How did they die? It is an amazing thing. Besides, there is a matter of credibility for the average individual who has not accepted the outcome either, because he or she stayed with that of the Mamba theory. So the judicial decision is not accepted. It is not accepted, nor is it accurate in the popular imagination. Few witnessed the last shovelfuls of dirt falling on the coffins of the cousins. There was no crowd of reporters, no police cordons, no ceremony, no heartfelt words, just silence and a leaden sky that provided a fitting backdrop to the scene. Perhaps we will never know the truth. The justice of men needs evidence that is not always found. And the only ones who could know what really happened that cold autumn night, sleep the eternal sleep of time in a municipal cemetery. This has been Paranormal Crimes, where reason meets its limits. Season 1, The Mystery of the Cousins. Produced by Plataforma Sound Stories. Original production for Euphoria Podcast. Presented by Euphoria. Hello? Good evening. Am I talking to the house at 3354 Mellow Street? Yes, that's right. I'm calling to ask if you know the story of what happened in your bathroom in 1989. No, I don't know anything. If you have a minute, I'll tell you. <laughs>